Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by Men's Tea Clinic. Men's Tea Clinic is the team I trust with my total wellness optimization, and so should you. Five DFW locations with North Frisco, El Dorado Parkway at Dallas North Tollway now open. Call 972-GO-MEN'S-TEA or visit mensteaclinic.com. KNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan. I'm really curious because we were kicking this around. First of all, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl champions. What was the biggest... This hat worked out in Oxnard, didn't it? (laughs) I wore it in Oxnard. You didn't inspire anybody from the Cowboys to do anything. I told them this is the reason I'm wearing it, but it did inspire the Chiefs because they didn't get burnt out. Even though they go to all the Super Bowls, (laughs) they didn't get burnt out, and they decided to try when it mattered the most. Well, congratulations to them for winning the game and also not getting burnt out is maybe the biggest moment play decision in the game because I think we might all be on different pages. Yeah, I I agree. I do think there are multiple options Mm -hmm. for this, but for me, it was the Christian McCaffrey fumble on early in the game. The first drive. The first drive. I, because especially when you saw what happened after that is the San Francisco defense crushed Kansas City straight away and they were just moving the ball down the field at will I know the first possession alone does not dictate what's going to happen in a game but man oh man early on it looked like the 49ers were the better team on the field and I thought if they score right there and I know they got out to a lead eventually anyway but I thought if they scored right there, it looked like they were going to control this game all night long. Yeah, I I mean, that was definitely one of those moments. It would have been for Kansas City. I think it would have been a stronger part if they had taken more advantage of it uh, yeah. right right afterwards. Like, that's a huge factor is that it pretty much was a nil a nil point at that point. So I felt like later on in the game, the muff punt was the was definitely the one uh, that that was that one. And then there was a blitz on third down that uh, one of your, your corners blitzes and knocks a, a Purdy pass down. I thought that was huge. When uh, they made the 57-yard field goal. Sorry, I'm forgetting his oh. name. Uh, yeah. Harrison when, Butker. Because I was about to say Bueller, and I'm like, I know that's not right. Mm. I text the whole group, the because we still had the Las Vegas, at least I kept it alive, is <laughs> I text, I said, I feel like Kansas City's hanging around enough that San Francisco is going to regret Agreed. that they're not up by more. So to your point, Corey, when that when that crazy play happened, I don't think it's anybody's fault. You're just unlucky that it hits the back foot of your guy blocking. Like yeah, he, and a good thing for replay because, man, they were crushing the punt returner, and then you look back and it was like, well, I think the issue he had is just fall on the ball. It looked like he was trying to right. get the ball and still make a play. Try to run up and catch the ball. Try to yell, yell, whatever is, I don't know, Peter, Peter, Peter is what Ro, what Romo said. Omaha. Try to go up there and catch the ball then. And, and that way, there's no yeah. doubt in that situation doesn't accidentally hit your guy. I think you're just unlucky because it was such a bad punt. Maybe, I, I, I don't know, but I just feel like it was such a bad punt that they got lucky. But it was, 
to your point, Kevin, San Francisco let a Kansas City team struggle, hang around where it should have been at that point, 20 to 6, let's just say, something like that. And because they didn't play as good as they could have played early on, it kept Kansas City alive. So then when that play happened, the next play, you're like, I can't believe we're losing. You know, if you're a San Francisco fan, we should be up by more points. And I will say I agree with you early in the game. San Francisco looked like they were going to easily score a touchdown to start the game off. But then Kansas City matched by when Mahomes makes the great play, then the next play they fumble inside the 10-yard line. So I felt like, oh, well, this makes the two teams that should have scored even on their turnovers that they should have scored on. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. But I guess at that point in my mind, it would have been 10-0. But you're still right. Is those those fumbles did feel like they kind of evened out in the first half. The Kevin, how we talk so often about the middle four. Yes. And I was trying to explain to Adrian how all this was unfolding. I was like, this is perfect. Like this is exactly what they wanted. They said they your got, wife cared to watch. Uh, right. She did, and Lucy sat there right there with me the whole time too. Was it, she so happy at the end? Then she went. Actually, I'm sorry. She had to go to sleep around Beyonce's that, ad. That probably makes sense. Uh, the um, but uh, it was that that window where you went. Okay, they deferred the kick. San Francisco took the ball. They defer. They're like, all right, they're going to take that. You know, in that window, you're Andy Reid's hoping that he has the ball going into halftime and they're going to get it on the other side. That's a 10-point swing if it happens. And then Mahomes throws an interception. In my mind, I was like, yeah. that's it. Like that's, I, even, I, I said, that's it right there. That's when This one's over. He just threw that interception, and it was a play where – it was out of the ordinary for him to do that in that in that moment. Like that was a bad throw by him, and so I thought that window right there was going to be the the game changer. And fortunately, again, their defense holds up like we did, like we discussed all week long. People kept saying y'all are sleeping on the Chiefs' defense. I was like, no, we talked about it yeah, handily all week. How important it was. Chris Jones late in the game. What was it? Six pressures on the on the last few plays it was amazing. And I I think that's where I. It's nothing against. Mahomes, because I get the run at the very end. It's odd to me that this game's takeaway was an offensive MVP in a game that felt like it was so dominated by defense for most of the game. Like, I understand they went on the Super Bowl winning drive in overtime and actually scored a touchdown, which is something that Captain Field Goal usually couldn't do. Oh, man. Is, I, I was surprised because this felt like a game dominated by defense. I don't know who the specific person you would have picked out as a Super Bowl MVP was, but it did feel odd to me to have an offensive MVP in this game. Well, I guess because when the game mattered, nobody made a defensive play. (laughs) Maybe that is true. Like an incomplete pass was a field goal for San Francisco. And then if you go back to the end of the game with a minute 53 left, Kansas City gets the ball back and they drive all the way down the field. It's just that, as Dan Orlovsky put it this morning, and I agree with this, Kansas City was going to score a touchdown if the time wasn't against them. They just had to, in a weird way, who's the all-pro center who can't snap a football? Creed Humphrey. Creed Creed Humphrey. Humphrey. Like, he's just shin-burning Patrick Mahomes all night long. And Mahomes, being the shortstop that he is, knows how to make a play. The play where Rasheed Rice, I think you see true leadership where Dak wouldn't have said anything, Mm. is... Rasheed Rice is upset that he doesn't get the ball in the middle of the field there on the snap with 10 seconds to go. Well, 
Patrick Mahomes has to bring his eyes down to the ground every right. time the ball is being snapped, and then he had to pick that ball up off the ground. So he can't read the defense off of a snap that's supposed to be around your belt or chest area. And maybe he's just going to go to to Travis Kelsey no matter what. That's just a one read just to give yourself maybe enough time to run another play. And, and uh, you know, Randy Reid decided, let's just kick the field goal with six seconds to go and not take the chance of we don't tie this game up. But Rasheed Rice is upset. I'm like, you should be upset with your center because your quarterback can't read the field because he's getting shin burned every time on these snaps. But I thought Dan Orlovsky made the point of like, look, San Francisco did not stop Kansas City in the end from winning the game in regular time. It was just that that Kansas City ran out of time to win the game in regular time. The Kevin, you you just you brought this up last week, and I I really was like, look, bringing him down's the most important. But through the first three quarters. They were getting home. They were pressuring with yeah. four against Mahomes. 46.4% of the time, they were pressuring with just four. They were in his face, man. In the fourth quarter, that dropped down to 19%. They couldn't wow. get home. And so wow. the defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, says, well, all right, it's time to blitz. And he blitzed five times. Mahomes was five for five against the blitz for 42 yards, including that third down conversion of McKinnon. So he was waiting you guys are doing this to me. They're doing what they did to Jalen Hurts. We're going we're gonna to push, but we're going to make you make a move, and then when you take off running, we'll stop you. And so they kept him like contained for the most part of the game, and then finally they said, we got to dial it up because our guys, are they were tired. Everybody was exhausted by the end of that game, but they were tired, and they said, we got a blitz, and Mahomes said, gotcha. I can't remember if it was to McKinnon, maybe Kelsey, but there was the one blitz where uh, <laughs> he didn't display this, but it almost looked like, like Patrick Mahomes was like, that's cute. <laughs> and like he, you had no chance of getting him on that because he anticipated the blitz. They set their play call for a blitz to immediately strike to what just numbers wise has to be a wide open person for an easy first down conversion. And I was like, that was amazing. Yeah. Like you, you went all out on the blitz and your blitz had no chance because they said, Hey, here comes the blitz. Here's what we're going to do. Be ready. And they converted it again in what felt like one second. That is, and I think we'll talk a little more about this tomorrow. That's where your quarterback, knowing everything on the other side of the, or like the opponent so well, that's where it comes in handy. When they blitz, I got you figured out. I know exactly where my soft spots are, where I can put a ball to, to hurt you. Now, some people have been asking this, and this is really interesting because, look, at the end of the day, it's a radio conversation because it's never going to matter because it didn't happen. And that's never going to change is who would have been the MVP if the 49ers won. And the person that I said was, and I wanted to go back and look at his odds going into the game. Connolly. I thought Juwan Jennings was going to be the MVP because he caught a touchdown pass, yeah. but he also threw a touchdown pass that I know McCaffrey did a lot of the work on that, but it felt like a huge deal and if you go back and look at the game, when he had the breakout route around the right side, that could have been a touchdown if they would have had a little bit more time. That would have been another touchdown for him, and it feels like he would have been the MVP. So I thought it was going to be between Purdy and McCaffrey before we had this conversation this morning, but you bring up a valid point that it could have been him. I, I bet on Brock Purdy. I bet 20 bucks Friday right. afternoon after our show was over as we were leaving. I downloaded the MGM app. I uh, gave a dude a free drink. So like, if you do this, you get a free drink. But I was like, <laughs> I oh, I can that. bet a few. I can bet a few dollars on this game. I bet in a weird move. I bet 
the game would be within six points. So I bet Chiefs by six or less and 49ers by six or less. Because as we are talking Friday, I'm like, I just don't have a good feel for this game. But I think it's going to be a close game. So I I ended up winning that bet. You bet 20 bucks on – you bet I bet 10 on both sides to win $40. So I won that one. And then I bet 20 bucks on Brock Purdy to win $66 for MVP. And I thought if he would have thrown that touchdown pass – I, I don't know. Would it have been – I think you bring up a good point for Jennings. I think Purdy throwing two touchdown passes and it being a touchdown pass to take the lead in overtime. And then Christian McCaffrey having approximately, was it 150 yards from scrimmage? I, I think. I think he had 75 and 75 or 80 and 80. 150 to 160 yards. It was 160. Okay. So 80 and 80. I think it would have been a tough vote. There was no tough vote for the Kansas City side. I don't know. I probably, I'm assuming Mahomes got all the votes after what he did in overtime. I think Chris Jones definitely should have gotten a good consideration there. That dude was insane uh, late in that game, especially in overtime too. Like he was I think it's tough though. Don't you have there. to have the stats? I think what's tough is as a voter for Bosa or Chris Jones, you're not seeing the tackles behind the line of scrimmage, the sacks, where usually you'd be like, well, if he, the dude had three sacks and two uh, in a stripped fumble, you know, like a lot of times, like, it's just tough to be like, man, Bosa did a good job of containing the the side and not over pursuing and yeah. making Patrick Mahomes stay in the pocket. I think that at times those guys might not be listening to the game who are voting because they're at the game. So they might have a tough time voting for a dude who was containing the pocket. It's It, it just depends on, to your point, it depends on what stats you're getting to see. Like, I saw next-gen stats, for example, on... I know you're talking about Chris Jones. Yeah. But on on Nick Bosa, for example, he had 10 pressures on 48 pass rushes. That pressure rate, almost 21%, is the third most in a playoff game in the last six years. And so I, I, I could see how you would look at that and be like, holy crap, he was harassing Patrick Mahomes all day. But I understand the counter of... But when it came down to it, and this is kind of how we felt about... The Cowboys defense, whether it's Miami, Detroit, whatever, when it came down to it, you didn't get the stop you needed to win the game. Yeah, I, 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 the defensive coaching staff for the Chiefs also give them like put that give them gold star. The 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 decisions on when to pressure. I mean, Tony Romo was like, look, he is going to blitz right now. Every fiber of his being says he will blitz right now. Be ready for it. It's coming. Brock Purdy throws right into the blitzer. Like th- there it is. And on top of that, uh, who's the Chiefs' secondary coach? Dave Merritt, uh, their defensive backs coach. Like that dude. Those guys were stuck to receivers. I know Jennings had a really good game, but McDuffie and like those and Sneed, those Sneed. guys were stuck yeah. to their receivers. Credit to them too, man. That was amazing. No, I I agree. <laughs> I'll tell you this. This Super Bowl, I do want to say thank you to this Super Bowl in general for having a second half because I thought the first half of this game was not super entertaining. But I thought the second half and beyond was exceedingly entertaining. The first half, I was like, oh, no. Is this 13 to 3? Is that is that what we're doing here? Yeah. But obviously, it got very Obviously, exciting. I might have said a sarcastic text that this game needed Dak in the first half to really have <laughs> explosive pick sixes and stuff like that. God, Mike! Well, I mean, isn't that what he does in playoff games? Is He sets the tone by big plays on the other side. And then, and then he starts racking up yards to then make it like really entertaining where now the quarterback is looking like he can play in this league. Mike, it was going to be such a lovely day. 
Why? Why As Choppy said, Dak has zero picks in Super Bowl <laughs> history, and I said, well, that will always be the case. We're the can masterpiece. <laughs> Mike, look, man, your Chiefs won. They and, won! And your Niners were there. I'm just right? surprised they didn't get burnt out. Baseball That's, season is on the way, and the Mavericks... They've played in four Super Bowls in five years, and somehow they haven't got burnt the out The Mavs yet. finally look like a contender this year, and <laughs> baseball <laughs> 11 is o'clock. on the way. You do not need to yeah, do this. Yeah, why are you being salty? This is, this is no, unnecessary right now. Because all the ass kissing that's going to happen. Stop it! With the Cowboys. Stop it right now! In the draft and as we get Let's close to. Let's just focus to, on defending a title, Mike. I just want to rip their hearts out. Well, I don't know. They're burnt out, so all right, they're recharging. We're the KNC masterpiece here. On 105.3 The Fan. They've tried. Coming up. Corey's really got a great hey, point, though. You worry. should be so happy so about good everything things. in sports Just right head now. the other direction. All right. All right. Coming up next, the defining matchups of the Super Bowl. Did these four decide the game? He's going to be how like, many oh, lanes of traffic will yeah. Mike Cross hey. to take a shot at Dak or the Cowboys? Next in the- Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Chiefs have never led in this game. They fumbled at the eight or they could have led. Mahomes, fighting for the end zone, wide open, caught, touchdown, Kansas City, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 16 yards on a seam up the numbers, and Kansas City has its first lead of Super Bowl 58. KNC Masterpiece back here on 105.3 The Fan. Did these matchups decide the winner of the Super Bowl yesterday? But before we get to that, we have potential controversy of brewing at the station, I think, or at least confusion yeah. brewing at the station. Corey, what, what, what's happening here? All right, I just got an email forwarded from Peyton. And Peyton, Peyton is on with uh, Sean and RJ and Bobby in the morning. And he uh, he does the payload, which is a pretty good segment if you've heard it. I agree. I just wish it was still called WrestleMania. Um, nobody would know that. Nobody would understand it. The now he and Alec have had a bit of a tiff <laughs> mm-hmm. over the last month and a half or so. Oh, do we need to do AM on the FM to give him the <laughs> platform for this too? And Alec, I I am shocked at you. Right now, I, I'm shocked because I don't know what happened. Okay, well, I don't. I don't think you ever realized that this email would get out, but here we are. <laughs> oh no, from, I'm not John Gruden. From like, Alec Medford moly. to Peyton Russell, the subject says <laughs> "f you, comma b," oh my god, and then the but the whole words, the real words. Yes, I can't, yes, yes. No, I know, but yeah, just I can't so they say know, it. They're not just doing letters; they're spelling it out. And then. <laughs> It's a good point, Mike. I don't know about this. Um, inside the body of the mm-hmm. email says P A H and Ho is what it there's there. S my D. Oh my god! Talk about my hair again. Like S and D oyster bar. 
I've been there like a long time ago. It's a good place. No. Uh, oh. Talk about my hair again, and I'll F your mom. So that's that was Alec just emailed this to Peyton I did not. out of nowhere. Wow. And then for some reason, this doesn't make sense to me. Peyton forwards it to me. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Do I do I submit this to the boss? I want you to know that Peyton Russell is back here working on him. stuff, and he is red faced, crying, laughing. Yeah, he's working very hard for uh, for the show, and you're <laughs> just going after him like this. And I'm kind of concerned, Alex. So I, I know exactly what happened. All right, I left my email open because I had a phone call to take because my bank called me. And I'm in the Fan Flash studio, and I had my email up because Kevin sends the email with the show sheet and everything. Uh-huh. So I was trying to print stuff, but I had to take that phone call, and it was noisy in here. Okay. I was on the phone for about 20 minutes. I come back. My email's closed out. I'm like, huh, okay. And you tell me about this information. This is news to me. So he's saying he got hacked. What do you think about this story right here? <laughs> Sounds like a cover-up to me. Sounds like well, hold on. What are you? Why are you looking at me like that? I'm just saying. You're saying you got has, hacked. Has Alec learned nothing from our show? Own your mistake. Yeah. Admit to the people that you're a flawed human being, and we will all. Oh, I'll admit that, but you. this is not what happened. Okay. This is, this is weird, man. This is a weird. The things you say to him, uh, whenever nobody's looking, no Alec. Dying. Yeah. Well. I guess <laughs> <laughs> but the feud continues. It appears between Alec and Peyton, Peyton. and himself. <laughs> It's a big battle of producers. Yeah. Man, we might. I wonder what Lucius has to say. Do I, so, do I forward this to HR now? How does this. <laughs> I didn't know. What's send the next that. step? For the 214 Team AM on the FM, we might need to have that happen <laughs> tomorrow for a, re, a full on response. All right. When is Chris Strong going to send his reply? On Thursday. <laughs> is. So, I, I was reading this article from Sports Illustrated, the part that still exists. Is, so this is an AI article? <laughs> yeah, maybe, actually. Is they had four key matchups that will decide the game. And I wanted to run through these and see if you how you think these matchups played out and if this is what decided the game. Key matchup number one, Christian McCaffrey versus the Chiefs run defense. And I'm kind of conflicted on this because it felt like Christian McCaffrey... Got a lot, though not all, of the yards he wanted when he wanted them. But it also felt like the double-team punch-out of the ball on the first drive made it gigantic advantage Chiefs on this. It, to me, felt like they should have ran more. Yeah. So I, I will give credit to Romo, who was harping on that for them. So, looking at the stats, McCaffrey, 22 carries for 80 yards, 3.6 an average. You would say Chiefs won that battle. Anytime you hold a guy like McCaffrey under four yards per carry, that would mean he had a bad game. But to your point, I felt like his first two or three, first two carries were for 20 yards. Like, he, it was six yards, I think, the first one, and then maybe 12 yards the next one. So, if... I know you can't do this. I know there's somebody who loves doing this. Well, they ran for 160 six yards. And and like, well, yeah. one of them was for 70 yards. So if you take, well, they all count. Okay. So I would say that McCaffrey, the way he ran the ball early, you would think to yourself, all right, he's going to have a big game. But then from after that first drive, there weren't many big plays from McCaffrey in the run game. So I would lean on Kansas City won that battle, but – I don't know. McCaffrey, 22 carries sounds like a lot, but maybe they should have ran him more. The The Niners ran the ball 45% of the time in the first half and 42.5% of the time in the second half. 
I, mean, I like would not they, have guessed it was that close. Yeah, it was it was as balanced as it, as it could be. Okay. And I think Purdy at one point threw six straight times uh, and out of their first 10 plays in the second half. And that's because the defense for the Chiefs said, we dare you to throw the ball. And so he does. That's what, I mean, he goes up to the line and he sees it. And he's like, all right, this is my best option. And that's when they were at their best. They had 17, 9, and 20 yards across four plays in that span. So that's a that's a, a significant factor, but I I do I agree. I felt like McCaffrey got what he wanted, but maybe that played into the hands that the Chiefs wanted. Okay, what do you think about this one then? Because this is another one, and this is, I think, why the game was so close, because you felt like maybe one side was winning, but when you really looked into it, maybe not. Patrick Mahomes' awareness versus the 49ers front. So I know he gets sacked three times, I believe. Yes. yes. But... I think his awareness, he did pretty well because there were at least two plays where I thought I was amazed that he held on to the ball. I think the Randy Gregory play was one of them where Randy got a hand on him to try to pull him down, but that alerted Mahomes to know, hey, protect the ball. Whereas if Gregory could have just hit the ball, but he wasn't close enough to do that. Like, I'm not saying Randy Gregory did the wrong thing at all. It was a heck of a play to catch him and slow him down. But if he was a little tiny bit closer and could have just punched at the ball, that was going to be a fumble. But good awareness by Patrick Mahomes. I thought he did a very good job of awareness because he was getting harassed continually in this game. Again, similar similar play style to what they did against the Eagles, the Niners, that is, where they said, hey, look, man, we're going to... We're going to sit our linebackers, our defensive line. We're not pushing all the way. We're not over-pursuing. We're going to make you make a move. Once you do, then we'll react. Because they don't want to have that, hey, uh, he ran right past us. We were over-pursuing. So they said, we'll wait just a little bit. And that's how they were able to, in the first half, kind of take that, take advantage of Mahomes, not necessarily sacking him the entire time, but just kind of making him make decisions that weren't he wasn't comfortable with. But then, like, throughout the game, and, and I know, Mike, you've been saying this, they did slow down. The The Niners' defense slowed down from what they were early in the game, and I don't know if that's just experience. You know, the Chiefs have the experience of understanding the surge you're going to get, the rest you'll get at halftime because it's so long and all that, but they did slow down, and Mahomes was able to do some other things, but they also forced it by Mahomes running the ball, by Mahomes doing some other different things with the with the game. So that became a big problem was that they did slow down enough, and then, they, like we said earlier, they said, we have to start blitzing. Uh, and then Mahomes takes advantage of him there. I think what was so great watching Mahomes is, you have to understand, he doesn't have anybody close to C.D. Lamb on his team. Nobody can win a one-on-one matchup. Even Kelsey can, but they try to get him into favorable matchups, and really I feel like Kelsey takes an advantage of a lot of zones. He knows where to sit. He knows where to find those open areas, and I just think that Mahomes early on in the game, I understand what Romo was saying. At one point, he's like 11 of 13. He's like, and Mahomes isn't having a good game. I'm like, man, this is a high standard when you're 11 yeah. of 13 throwing the ball and he'd been sacked a couple times because he's didn't like. did it feel like, like I hear you statistically for sure, but didn't it feel like he was having a very humdrum game because they couldn't move the ball or they couldn't capitalize on moving? There the weren't ball. a lot of big plays. Yeah, and yes yeah. and no, but when they would show from, they're like, see how they're containing him and he's trying to break, he's trying to break out of the pocket because nobody's open. He's in the pocket. He sees all four people in a route, and all four people aren't getting open. So then he's like, well, let me get into scramble drill. And I thought San Francisco did a good job. But I'm like, what is Mahomes doing so wrong here when you see the drop back? 
You never saw Romo go, see, if he just holds the ball for a second longer, you see how this guy's getting open? Like, well, you can do that with Dak all the time. He's like, no, everybody's covered, so he's trying to break containment here to then get into scramble drill to see if somebody can get open out of that. So, yes, I think that you're right, but I think I'm also right in a way like (laughs) – It can be more than one thing. It's another Peyton and Alec uh, square (laughs) off right here with Mike and Kevin. But Mahomes wasn't playing great, but I don't think he doesn't have anybody who can – who can then dominate on the outside. Like, Rice may be in the future, but right now he's still limited as a player. It's interesting. That kind of ties into the next point is how do you think the Chiefs receivers did against the 49ers zone? Because when you talked about how the 49ers slowed down in the second half, obviously that runs parallel to Travis Kelsey breaking out and them having more success against the 49ers zone. And then you have to dive into, we haven't even really talked about Greenlaw's freaky injury. Yeah, that was a weird that situation where you saw it and you're like, and you're like, oh, they're on grass. They're on, they're on natural turf right now. And so that's a, that's a, the, there were a couple of things, uh, some of the motion that they did to set that up, but also their mesh. Like their mesh is where that really, Kevin, they took advantage of the zone because they have crossing routes underneath that set up Rice has one and Kelsey has one that were significantly big yards because they were able to cross up the zone and Mahomes was able to pick up what they what where that open space was about to be on which side. And then later in the game, because they did that, it opens up another moment. I don't know if you if you recognize this. There's a moment where Mahomes sees that mesh, Rice and, them, and they cross. But Kelsey recognizes that Mahomes has space if he wants to run. So Kelsey, while he's running across field, sees it, turns upfield and just goes, takes a safety with him. And then Mahomes is able to pick up a first down. So, Kevin, for what they did against their zone and the ability to go up against that front four, I thought they played like it had to take a lot of patience to get there. You know, they they all the things they did late in the game were not things that they were doing early in the game either. So it was good. It was good. Uh, transition to what they needed to do late. And then the last thing I wanted to throw out there is Brock Purdy's accuracy against the Chiefs secondary. Man, if we're talking about players who impacted this game, but like the stats don't always necessarily necessarily reflect it, I thought hell of a job by the Chiefs secondary yeah. for the most part yesterday. Yeah, it was wonderful. Um, and there there were a couple of drops by Debo, right? Like he had he had a couple that you were like, wow, that was not typical of him and McCaffrey. I mean, they Romo calls it out. He finally gets the coverage he's looking for. Brock Purdy, and he has to call a timeout because it wasn't what it wasn't what he had single coverage with McCaffrey for an easy first down, and they have to call a timeout. But yeah, man, they were they were fantastic. That's last another night. question I have. That had to be a cramp by Debo Samuel. There's not a human being alive. I don't care how strong you are. You can't rip a hamstring or strain a hamstring and then just go, I'll just play through it and just run normally. So I'm assuming when he had the hamstring issue, it cramped on him. There was nothing that was like a rip or a, a, a major strain or anything. And I know we'll talk more about Greenlaw as we go along, but when you saw that injury, and when I thought at the moment that Debo was like hurt, hurt, I was like, man, this is just yeah. not their day. They're dropping quality players left and right. We're the KNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan. Coming up next, it's time for Baseball Nuggets with Mike Pasek. The halftime show was unbelievable on MLB Network. What? Next. KNC Masterpiece back here on 105.3 The Fan right now. 
It's time for some baseball nuggets with Mike Basak. All right, so quick question for you guys for baseball nuggets here. Did you guys engage with all the halftime show for NFL and Usher? Yes, I did. Okay, I liked it. If we're talking about it later, then I'll drop it. Are we talking about the halftime show later? Okay, so Usher's fine with me. Like, I know the majority of his popular songs, but I wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to watch Usher. So... I got caught up before the Super Bowl. I was watching MLB Network, and they were doing a thing called MLB Seasons. These are old. They have they've done this now. They're 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 produced. It wasn't like they just recently did this. But so I flip over to MLB Network after a little bit of the halftime show, not the Usher part, but you know they're like, hey, they're they're kind of giving their analysis of the first half, and I was like, well, it wasn't that fun of a first half. Yeah. MLB Network caught my eye with baseball seasons before the Super Bowl. Let me see what season they're on right now. And they were on the 1986 MLB season. Well, guys, the reason that I really didn't watch Usher, I watched a little bit of it when it would go to commercial on MLB Network, is 1986 was the year that I fell in love with baseball completely and totally and said, I'm going to be a Major League Baseball player. That's, That's my goal in life is to be a Major League Baseball player. You did it! And I did do it. Not as well as I wanted to do it, because in 1986, how do I fall in love with the game? Yes, I'm falling in love with a rookie Ruben Sierra and a rookie Pete Cavilla and Oda B. McDowell's in center field and Scotty Fletcher's at shortstop and Don Slott's catching. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that I'm liking about the Rangers. That's my team on HSE, which is now Bally's. Like, it's just carried over from HSE to Fox Sports Southwest to now Bally Sports Southwest. So, yes, I'm watching my Texas Rangers play, but I'm falling in love with the New York Mets, and I'm falling in love with Dwight Gooden. My first ever number I chose in baseball in 1986 was I chose the number 16 because of Dr. K, Dwight Gooden. So as they're going over this season, also the Boston Red Sox. I really like the Boston Red Sox, too. And then you have this great series between the California Angels. And my dad is teaching me about the game at that point because Gene Mock is their manager. And Gene Mock was his manager in 1979 and 80 on the Minnesota Twins. So as they're playing, I know, the Super Bowl halftime show, I am remembering my love of the game of baseball and when I totally fell in love with it and it was it for me I still played basketball I love basketball I love all the Dallas Mavericks and Dell Ellis was my first ever player so there's a big love for basketball too but I can remember my totally falling in love with the game of baseball was 1986 and the 1986 playoffs between the Angels and the Red Sox and you know, I'm remembering all of these things. I'm remembering Jim Rice and Dwight Evans and, uh, you know, all of the guys, Roger Clemens, obviously. And I'm remembering the Mets and the Astros was one of the greatest, you know, CSs in the history of baseball. Mike Scott is completely and totally dominating. Dominate. Yeah. You had a game where Dwight Gooden and Nolan Ryan, I believe it was game three. I think it was game three. I might be off on my games here. Dwight Gooden threw 10 innings in that game and Nolan Ryan threw nine. So it goes extra innings and Gary Carter gets the game winning hit, I believe, in the 12th inning. So you have a Dwight Gooden versus Nolan Ryan in this epic battle of Nolan Ryan's coming to the end of his career, everybody was thinking. And guess who the next Nolan Ryan is? It's Dwight Gooden. 
you know, who I believe in that year went 24-4 and four with a 1-5 ERA. Mm, I mean, that's – and he's 21 yeah. years old at the time. Uh, so that's the year I completely and totally fell in love with baseball. So you can maybe excuse me for not turning back to Usher on roller skates as I'm just – in. skated pretty well. I am enthralled with the 1986 season because that's when I totally and completely fell in love with the game of baseball and said, that's what I want to do and that's what I want to be. So I asked this question to you in Baseball Nuggets. Was there a moment, maybe a Ranger season, a Ranger moment? Was there a moment where you, I know you didn't fall in love with the game like I did, where I committed my life to, to being a baseball player, but was there a moment in your baseball life that you can think of that you're like, this is when I really said, I like this sport. I remember seeing Steve Bouchel dive at third base and make a play. And like it felt like over and over I kept seeing that. And I just loved watching him play defense. Now I don't know if he made he was the best in my mind as a kid, it was he was the best third baseman to ever play the game. I didn't know any different. I didn't know that Mike Schmidt was the the Hoover over there at third base. He was really good at defense as well, but Watching it was it was Steve Bouchel specifically that made me want to play third base and be a third baseman and play that position and everything. So that was that Do was. Do you that remember time. approximately what year? Um, I'll, I'll say eighty-eight. You're forty-two. Yeah. So I was okay. I was about eight years old and I was playing baseball and I was involved yeah. with it. So it was somewhere around then. Seven. So years Steve Bouchel was the reason you yeah. liked baseball and wanted to be Just a third baseman. Loved baseball. That's yes. awesome. Yeah. For me, it was Jim Sundberg because I got to go to a, I got to have my birthday party at a Rangers game. And do you remember the year? I, what, do you remember the age you turned? I believe it was 87 or 88. And I think they were playing the, I thought they were playing the Brewers at the time, but maybe I have that off. Jim Sundberg. Hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth inning to tie the game. And the game went on to be 17 or 18 innings long. And it was at the time the longest Rangers home game in history. And I remember my mom took us and she had to keep going up to the payphone to call the babysitter to be like, hey, it looks like we're going to be longer because my okay. sister was at home. And this is before the era of cell phones and everything. And like, because it was my birthday, and she didn't want to go, hey, I know it's the 14th inning, and we keep getting to move up in our seats because they were like, hey, people are leaving. Sit wherever the hell you want. And so she didn't want me to have to leave that. I, I have always loved Jim Sunberg for that. So it's interesting because in the baseball seasons, the couple years before, you see Sonny in 1985 celebrating his world championship because he was the catcher for the Kansas City Royals in 85 when they won it all. I think some Ranger fans forget he actually left the Rangers, went to Kansas City, won a championship, and then came back to finish off his career with the Texas Rangers. But I was just wondering this with my love of 1986 and falling in love with the game. In fact, they showed the All-Star game uh, where – this young kid was starting first baseman. He won the ballot because Wally Joyner in his first 41 games hit 17 home runs. Wow. And so I remember falling in love with Wally Joyner, you know, at that time. Will Clark, I felt like they were showing all of these rookies, Barry Larkin and Will Clark and and uh, Bo Jackson, and you know, like all of these guys, Wally Joyner coming up. So there was this 
there was this influx, and they showed uh, Barry Bonds. You know, there was this influx of these young, great players in 86 that started affecting the game of baseball, too. And it made me think, one, do we need that again? Now, I'm not speaking about the Texas Rangers, but that season, when you go to that World that World Series will be remembered forever. And the, and the CSs will be remembered if you're like a baseball fan of my age because of the Angels blowing a, a series lead and Donnie Moore, who ended up committing suicide later in his life because of drugs and giving up the home run to Dave Henderson. And then you had the epic battle of Mike Scott just dominating, but the Mets with all of their star power taking over and winning. And then you have the seven-game World Series and it's New York and Boston. Do you feel like baseball, I don't know, do they need that again? Do they need some epic World Series to, to have we had that epic World Series lately? Was it Washington? Be, like, does it need to be too epic? Does it need to be New York Yankees versus LA Dodgers I think, this year? I think it does because the Kansas City Royals were involved in a pretty epic World Series and I feel like people were like, yeah. eh. Is it will it never be the same again? Because you know all eyes were on the World Series back then. You had pretty much five stations, or at best, if you had cable, you had twenty stations to choose something to watch. Yeah, I, I don't know, because even like thinking about my how I fell in love with football, it was when the Cowboys lost to the Lions. I I watched football, but that day I sat down with my dad and watched the whole game, and they didn't. I don't think I really cared about that Super Bowl, but then I was I was committed to Cowboys football then. Like that was it. That was that moment for me there because I was like predicting that they're gonna win. I don't know about World Series, how that connects with that. I uh, one other thing that added to it though, Mike, was walking into the card shop with my dad and seeing posters and stuff. Like Ooh, that's I where I was that. like all these guys that were on the field, you know, the the Will Clark poster of him crushing the ball, the Nolan one with the duster on, the Corey yeah. Snyder one. Like they have all these different cool posters. Was it with Cleveland, then? yeah, and it was. Uh, it, but they were all they all like that. Let my imagination run wild yeah. about what these dudes were. Like they were superheroes at that point. And then the last thing is, is how many kids fell in love with the game this year because of the Rangers' run? Now I get nationally no, but I'm just wondering how many kids when I was watching this '86 thing and just remembering how much I fell in love with the game of baseball at eight years old. And like, I want to do that. I want to be like my dad. I want to be like Dwight Gooden. I want to be in these games. I'm just wondering how many kids that are somewhere between the ages of six and let's say 11 or 12 completely and totally fell in love with the game watching it this year and the Rangers run. Can I tell you, I think the World Baseball Classic played a big part in that. I I know it wasn't the World Series, but Man, how many people did you know that like stopped down? They're like, oh my God, it's Shohei against Trout. Yes. Like that, yeah. that felt the way they keep doing the all star commercials for the NBA all star game. They're like teammate versus teammate. That's not going to happen or it's not going to be intense. The World Baseball Classic yeah. felt as intense as it, was it awesome. gets. And you had Venezuela. I think at one point, didn't Trey Turner hit a huge home run against Venezuela oh, late up, in the walk game? Walk up Grand Slam, wasn't it? I think. It's like, so, like yeah. eighth inning or so. Like there were so many intense games with superstar players having an impact. Like you're talking about yeah. Shohei or Trey Turner or you know Ronald Acuna Jr. for Venezuela. You know, it's like Dominican once again disappointed, but there were a lot of superstars in those big moments. We're the KNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan. That was a very entertaining Sorry, Usher. I didn't watch it all.